Today, join me as we experiment with an all-new format. We are introducing what you will come to know as the Rob Topsy. With the Rob Topsy, we examine a single body of work, a comic book, a movie, a show. We dissect it and study that art and its historical significance, its relevance. There's going to be a whole bunch of categories that we explore during the Rob Topsy, but... But it's not called the Rob Topsy as much as it's called the Robcast during this issue. So consider that this is a very special, special collector's edition. A pilot, if you will, where we called the entire thing the Robcast before we decided to call it the Rob Topsy. And today's Rob Topsy is about to commence on the 1970s Fantastic Four from Marvel. Join me on a very special edition of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special edition of Observations. What makes this episode so special is that we are introducing a new format, a format we're going to play with and we're going to air infrequently here on Observations, which deviates slightly from this journey that I've been taking you on since I was pulling comic books off the spinner rack. This format is called the Rob Topsy. It is the perfect format. We, we danced around with some different names. At one point, I announced a different name for this format. At this point, it's going to be part of the Rob Observations family. We're airing basically what amounts to a pilot episode today. It is the Rob Topsy. Now, what happens on the Rob Topsy, the mission statement of the Rob Topsy is that we take one isolated item, a comic book, a, a comic book issue, a comic book series, a comic book stories. We take a movie. We take an episode or a grouping of episodes of a show and we get down to the bare bones and we examine and we dissect that particular body of work. We go out of our way to explain the historical and cultural significance of whatever it is we've chosen to examine on that particular episode. We, 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 we talk about the people that worked on the book, uh, the, the, the work they produced, the time frame that it was, you know, created in, whether it was the 70s, the 80s, we are going to isolate these, these bodies of works and discuss them with you with, a, with an, an increased focus. Along with that increased focus, we're going to introduce very specific categories that we will be explaining on each and every edition of a Rob Topsy. Uh, among the different categories, that we'll be uh, examining during the Rob Topsy. We're going to talk about, as I said, the historical relevance. We have a category called notables. We have a category called the creative pedigree. You know, what did these creators do outside of the work that we're explaining? That maybe will give you a more well-rounded look at what they were doing on this particular body of work. We are going to talk about brushed with greatness because the anchors embellishers of, of of all of the comic books that we'll be discussing uh, d- discussing. Don't don't get enough love as it is. My my favorite category, and you're gonna have to listen for it, is 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 sugar rush. When we discuss a topic called sugar rush, that will will cover movies, episodes, and comic books, and then of course we we discuss legacy. So again, just driving it home. Each and every episode, a format of the Rob Topsy will revisit, examine, dissect a particular body of work and a piece of art, comic book, show, movie and explain its cultural and historical significance. For our inaugural episode, I I just found it completely fitting 
On one hand, it's my very first Marvel comic book. But on the other hand, it is a very strange period during the time of Marvel Comics and this this period for the Fantastic Four. A subject, a title, a a an intellectual property, as as they say in in the in the film business, that has glaring lights on it right now. It has it has the 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 heat of the hottest spotlight as Marvel is very slowly trying to assemble a a giant big budget Fantastic Four production that Marvel will be responsible for 100%. Not Fox. You know, we've had two two movies. We, we also had a, a Roger Corman uh, attempt at the Fantastic Four, you know, in the 90s. But just why? Just why is the Fantastic Four so important? Why does it carry so much weight? I believe so much of what we're looking at and so many, so many of the answers can come through this period of the Fantastic Four, which is a great reflection of what was going on in the comic books with the intellectual property, with the ideas, with the characters at the time. I'm talking about Fantastic Four, number 147, number 148, 149. It's all kind of a connective storyline. Issue 147 was the comic that won me over, and 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 I had to be a part of the Marvel Comics universe. I had to interact with these characters. Uh, long story short, I traded my own like Richie Rich and Archie comics to my barber. I've, I've told this uh, story in, in different in different manners, in different interviews, in different podcasts. And I was able to trade my kind of quasi-kid comics, uh, non-threatening kid comics, Archie, Casper, Richie Rich, and to my to my barber at the time, Fred the Barber, who had a stack of Marvel and DC comics. But this one is, was irresistible. It came into my hands. I poured over it, and my love affair with Marvel began. And the Fantastic Four, for, for the longest time, was my absolute favorite comic book franchise. But let me tell you something. Prince Namor, the Submariner, is the character exploding off the page. Exploding off the page, about to attack Ben Grimm as the thing standing on a rock in the middle of the ocean. And uh, we're not clear how close to shore it is. It's isolated. And in the air, there is a net uh, that that is wrapped around Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. And Prince Namor says, Sue Richards is mine till the day I die. And the thing says, Mr. You just said the magic words. It says, this is the big one. The thing battles a fighting mad submariner and the winner takes all. So eye-catching, had to have it, had to flip through it. And each and every page just completely took me hostage. It it grabbed me and, and wouldn't let me go. But while submariner is bursting off this page and there is a inset an inset is is a picture on top of picture there's a circle inset of sue storm you know the invisible girl the invisible woman reed richards wife the mother of franklin richards at this time she's reacting like she's watching this as he says sue richards is mine okay well here's the most important part about this comic book that, that that's going to be interesting as we, we we parse its history its legacy its relevance uh this is during a period where sue storm was no no longer part of the quartet this is a period where the invisible woman, the invisible girl, whatever they had, um, I think she was still the invisible girl. They hadn't upgraded her to a woman uh, for another few years. Now, this is 1974. Fantastic Four 147 is released in 1974. I am, at that time, seven years old. I, I, I'm going to be eight a few, a few short months from now as, as I'm grabbing this, but seven years old, I cannot uh, put this book down. 
It is told in the mighty Marvel manner, the mighty Marvel style. It is very bold. It's very bombastic. And we're going to carry a lot of what is contained in these, in these panels to show you that before we go through our, all of our various categories, as we're going to do on every issue of the Robcast, every episode of the Robcast. Very different than my other podcasts, Rob's Observations. This is, we are, again, the best word I can use is we are going to perform an autopsy on a body of work each and every week that you tune in to the Robcast. Here is what makes this different. As I said, Sue Storm is not a member of this quartet. This begins a period of, of almost the next 20 years where the lineup is, is, is rotating. Sue comes in and out. We have different faces joining uh, the team. But at this time, none other than, and, and, it's, and it's evident to you immediately when you open the splash page. The splash page has, has, uh, has the thing just looking as, as worried and concerned as he could possibly look. Uh, Johnny Storm behind him. And then the, the, the newest member of the quartet during this time is Medusa. Medusa of the Inhumans. Who would go on and be, you know, the 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 uh, the queen alongside the king, Black Bolt of the Inhumans? The Inhumans obviously were introduced in the pages of the Fantastic Four, but after revisiting them in a storyline around 1972-1973, she then popped up again uh, as a member of the Frightful Four. She had become a villain who was now actively uh, fighting opposing in, in direct conflict with the Fantastic Four before a few episodes transitioning after that, she joins the team. So Medusa has been a member of the Fantastic Four now for nearly a year. And what's interesting to note is she will go on to be part of the Fantastic Four for over 30 issues. Medusa starts fighting alongside the Fantastic Four in Fantastic Four, 132-133 becomes a dedicated member, is on almost every single cover, and carries through with the team for roughly uh, 30, 30 issues that she is alongside. That is over two years that the audience who was picking up Fantastic Four, like I was with this 147, and finding that it was Reed, Johnny, The Thing, and Medusa. Well, what happened to Sue Storm? So Franklin Richards' birth in the book and then his rapid kind of growth, accelerated growth. He had this tremendous, you know, uh, uh, power within him. He was identified as a mutant. He went into a coma. This sent Sue into a lot of emotional distress, and Sue was taken off the team to deal with all of the different problems going on with Franklin Richards. This then necessitated a new member coming on board the Fantastic Four. At this point, this is Medusa. And again, this opens the door for what is going to happen in 1976 for a few issues, a handful of issues. Ben Grimm can't capably turn into the thing and Luke Cage Power Man steps in as the strong man of the group. So, so shortly after Medusa exits, after spending 30 issues with the Fantastic Four, Luke Cage comes in. And then what you get in the 80s, you get She-Hulk. For three full years, 35 issues, She-Hulk replaces, again, Ben Grimm, who exits the book. And, and, and because Ben's got so many other things going on, he's got his own title, uh, he transitions out of his own team-up book. But, but this is a cool, again, Fantastic Four 147, 1974, Sue Storm is not a member of the group. She's in the storyline. She is a member of this storyline. She's even on the cover, mentioned on the cover, seen on the cover. But this, uh, th- th- this 
raging submariner coming out to to fight and, and basically claim that that Sue Storm is mine. She is in love with me. I am going to take her. The splash page in in, in one forty seven again finds Medusa standing alongside Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm as they are informed the submariner is about to strike and uh, Reed Richards is uh, is is as he was um, as he was for for so for so long he is in the state of of depression and i'm telling you uh they they really portrayed reed for a great many years as someone who was going through a ton of trauma now before i go any further i need to 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 tell you it this will go this will go along um in a separate category but at the top of this this is written by jerry conway drawn illustrated pencil by rich buckler and uh, inked by Joe Sennett, edited by Roy Thomas, who had been the successor to, to Stan Lee as, as also the publisher. It says Stan Lee presents, but Stan is, is, is now in L.A. He has, he has left. He is on the West Coast as these books are, are happening. And Roy is, is very much in charge and, and, and is putting his imprimatur on all these different books. On page two, we see why they are all, again, this tight crop shot. We see the, why the Fantastic Four is distressed. Now, as I said, Sue has not been a part of the active roster. Medusa of the Inhumans has been fighting alongside and is on the cover of each and every issue of the Fantastic Four at this time. Reed is sitting there. They're all talking about Reed as if, as if he's not there because he's not there on the splash page, but you pull back and on page two, he is sitting there and he is um, almost inconsolable. His, his head is resting in his hand and, and he is, he is uh, slumped, very much slumped in his chair. And it says, uh, in reaction to Medusa stating, you know, that they never dreamed Reed would be this bad. Ben Grimm says, lady, neither did I. Reed was in the dumps, all right. And who wouldn't be? When a guy's wife takes off, you don't exactly start cheering. We close up on Reed's hands and what he's looking at. And it says a summons for divorce court that Sue is going to divorce Reed. And then, of course, Johnny picks it up. It says it's a summons. Sue has started divorce proceedings against Reed. Medusa says, Johnny, that's incredible. Are you sure? Lady, I can read. <laughs> how, how, how great is this dialogue in, 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 <laughs> in 2023? I am on page two. Medusa has says, Johnny, that's incredible. Are you sure? Lady, comma, I can read. Lady, I can read. Okay, like sit down. Okay, this would not fly in, in, in the uh, entertainment world of 2023. And then Ben says, little Susie asking for a divorce. Excuse my Ben. I just naturally kind of invoke this, this voice. I don't believe it. It then has a caption. I love the caption. I miss the captions. Captions were a, were a part of the snapshot of this era, the 70s, where a caption would kind of tell you what you needed to know. I didn't mind it. I liked it. I think all the readers liked it. But now we've transitioned to, you know, not even thought bubbles because we can't really, it has to be a Tarantino-esque dialogue carrying us snappy david mamet patter okay but back here we got a big giant yellow block on page four of page two that says stunned the three friends react with various degrees of amazement raging from johnny storm's gaping disbelief to medusa's reflective compassion benjamin Grimm slowly builds rage medusa says in the same panel read i'm so sorry if if there's anything i can do anything at all Johnny, obviously, Sue is his sister, okay? He's got his hand behind his head, the note in the other hand. He's, he's through his body language, he's distressed. Sis, 
My sis has acted pretty strange lately, but I never expected this. And then Thing says, of all the crummy low-life things to do, this takes the cake. Reed then slumps forward and says, Ben, wait, she's perfectly within her rights. If this is what she wants, then, then who am I to stand in her way? You have blamed husband, that's who. And if none of you clowns wants to do something about it, I will. So then we cut to you, and in the sky, Ben is flying the Fantasticycle. And uh, the Fantasticycle is, has a, sep, uh, a sidecar that Johnny is riding alongside. The Fantasticycle is an air cycle flying through the air. Again, there's no Medusa in this shot. She has been left behind. And uh, says, again, an, a, a wonderful yellow block. After a brief discussion, Medusa elects to remain with Reed while the youngest member of the Fabulous Foursome decides to, and then we go right into his dialogue, go with you, Ben, to keep your ugly mug out of trouble. After all, Sue is my sister and Franklin is my nephew. If if anyone should talk to her, it's me. You mean it's I. Don't forget whose side you're on, kiddo. Susie may be your sister, but Reed's your friend. Seems to me I can remember a time when you were as angry with him as I was, Thing. Is that all in the past? I think it's funny that they call him the thing. They, they don't call him Ben. You were as angry as I was with him, thing. Uh, he says, you better believe it's in the past, hothead. When the chips are down, a man's got to stick with his pals. Now, I want to really point out to you, we are on page four, uh, page three. Splash page, oh my gosh, they're all aghast. They're speaking of Reed as if he's dying. Uh, on the, on the, the, the page one Word balloon coming from the statement coming from Medusa is, uh, I'm glad you can see that, Johnny. Reed Richards needs our help, all of our help. But they're all looking at like they're facing a monster. And then, of course, you see that the drama, he slumped over. He's got the divorce proceedings. They, you know, uh, reflect on this and how terrible it is. And then, you know, the thing goes out in rage, flying in his fantastic cycle now on this page three page three not page four page three he is over the ocean now he has left the city he is over the ocean johnny jumps off the cycle and says um i'm, I'm gonna fly ahead and thing says uh maybe maybe torchy is right maybe sue's got a good reason so they're reflecting on sue's Divorce summons. Divorce summons. Again, 1974, if you're a kid and you love the Fantastic Four, you are reading of Sue Storm divorcing. This is Kramer versus Kramer. This is Richards versus Richards, okay? Except Kramer versus Kramer won't come out for another, like, six years. Richards versus Richards. Another giant, lovely caption in the last panel of page three says, Lost in thought, the man called The Thing follows Johnny Storm's fire trail mechanically, not noticed not noticing the miles passing beneath him. See, in, in one panel, we have now established he, he has traveled miles. He is on the, on the cycle, and then there's just a close-up of his face, but it says he's traveled miles, not noticing, because he's lost in thought. He hasn't seen the unfolding Pennsylvania countryside beneath him. He's unaware of anything until, and then there's a splash of water in the same panel. He's looking over his shoulder, and there's panels splashing in this caption that is sitting atop of his head saying lost in thought man thing has followed johnny's trail and lost time didn't re- not realizing he had trailed off for miles why am i telling you this because on page four we are getting a giant splash page a full page splash a splash page for the uninitiated is a full page a full page dedicated to a one single one single shot and man there are stacks stacks of of really thick 
caption in informing captions that are informing you of what's going on here. But you don't need to de- you don't need to see it. Namor is rising from the seas and and Ben is bursting out. Namor the Submariner. Um that's page 4, that's a splash page. Top panel page 5 Namor is whopping. He just wallops, just opens up, doesn't say anything, wallops the thing. And says, "That's right, thing." And 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 though at the moment you and I have no quarrel, I must strike for my honor demands. Surrender now. I have no desire to harm you. He says as he hovers over him. Now the thing has found a rock again, just like on the cover. There is a rock coming out in the middle of the ocean, which has given him footing. And he says, "If you think you're going to order the thing around, you got another thing coming." It actually says another think. There's a misprint in every issue of this. Another think coming. Just like all the mistakes that I am bound to make on my own Robcast. So then uh, Namor says, uh, not so my orange skin friend. It is you who must reconsider for in this element, Namor is supreme. He grabs the thing and on the last panel of page five, they go under under the water. Whereas we know, and I'm going to tell you right now, Namor has the advantage. The next uh page he is walloping again just throttling the thing brings him back up on the rock but then he has to face johnny who attacks him and says uh believe you believe it namer i don't know why you went after my buddy ben but now you're gonna have to deal with me and for somebody who thrives on water like you do tangling with a wall of flame will mean big trouble now you gotta understand remember we are six pages into this and we've already had a dedicated three-page fight one two three four five Six, seven, eight, nine, and we're going to continue 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 straight panels of action. Namor flying at the thing, tackling him. They trade blows. He takes him under the water. John, he brings him back up on the rock. He stands imposingly over him. Johnny flies in, throwing, you know, fireballs, swirls around him, creating a wall of fire. Out of nowhere, which is rad, Namor just throws an asbestos net um, that, that is not visible anywhere. This is this is the, why I love the '70s comics. Why do we need this explained? We don't. I didn't. I'm like, eh, he had it in his pocket. Okay, he had it in his pocket. Page three of panel seven uh, of the story. Namor throws a giant net that that he did not have in the previous two panels, and uh, and he and he and the asbestos net, you know, puts out Johnny's fire, and Namor punches him into the ocean. On uh, on page eight. Uh, the thing stands back up and says, uh, what you're doing is wrong. And he, uh, and, 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 and he grabs Namor by the ankle, pulls him back down and we get more action. So it is, it is four straight pages of amazing action. And, uh, and then it continues into page nine. And now Namor's taking all their blows. He's hovering over Johnny and Ben. And he says, did you really think one, one punch? could dispatch the submariner and then here here's the meat on the bone i'm gonna warn you he says make no attempt to find susan richards or her child i assure you they are no longer your concern or the concern of the infamous reed richards from this moment on they are under my protection the protection of namor the first prince of lost atlantis this i swear sue richards is mine now and forevermore. and another um lovely caption dump which i i, I love guys i love these for several seconds, neither Ben nor Johnny can speak. They can only stare at Namor's receding form and remember that he was once Reed Richards' greatest rival for this for Sue Storm's 
affections. Finally, the full meaning of Namor's words sinks, galvanizing the two friends into swift and sudden action. So, page 10, they return back and uh, they are uh, asking, they, they, they go to the home that Sue has been staying at, Bob and Carol Linders. And they say, look, this is Johnny and Ben. We are now off the off the rock. Uh, supposedly, you know, Johnny flamed on and carried uh, Ben again. A lot of lot of leaps, a lot of lot of logic stuff that that I honestly believe people get too, too caught up in. Because when Namor leaves them, they are on an isolated rock in the middle of the ocean. Now, the next panel, they are opening up the door, slamming open the door of Bob and Carol Linders, and saying, "Susie's got some explaining to do. Where is she?" Bob and Carol say, "She's not here. She's been kidnapped." Prince Namor kidnapped her, both Sue and Franklin. They, he took them both. Um, he said, uh, Carol Linder says, Bob, nor I thought Sue was doing the right thing when she sent that divorce notice, but she wouldn't listen to us. And then she'd gone to her room and locked herself in. And then it, it says that they saw a sound. There's a recap here, a, a flashback, and they open the door and, and, and Sue is passed out in Namor's arms and he flies off with her. And uh, they're like, we couldn't stop him. So now they go back to the, Baxter Building, page 11, they inform Reed, and Reed is is making a giant gizmo, as he is often doing, whether it's a Jack Kirby version of this, Ramita Sr., a John Buscema, and now Rich Buckler, all the different great artists who've drawn this book, he is always making some cool, and it looks like Kirby machinery. He is informed that Submariner Prince Namor has them. He says, I've got some bad news, Stretch. I've got some bad news about Sue. So then, we cut to the next page, and and there's a giant map and Reed is working to figure out the location and where they're going to locate them. He's got his giant gizmo in his hand. He's uh, projecting a uh, 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 radiated frequency. And he says, here, by, by panel five, he has pinpointed on the map using his gizmos where they're going to be. I believe this is about page 13. We are flying in the fantastic car. No longer the fantastic cycle. The fantastic car, Medusa, Johnny, Ben and Reed are going in. They go under with the Fantastic Car. You guys, these shots of the Fantastic Car, both airborne and then going into the ocean, excited me as a kid. I loved it. They were fantastic. I love that they had their own vehicles. And suddenly, when they hit the ocean, the domes go over, and Reed's warning them, you know, take your oxy pills. They'll provide enough oxygen in your bloodstream for an hour's worth of activity. So, you know, they've got an hour to basically defeat Namor and get Sue back. Boom, they're under the um the the modules the glass modules go over them. They are flying into combat another spl- another splash page and now the fantastic car is broken off. They're all in different capsules. Johnny and Ben have broken off in their own separate modules that were once attached to the fantastic car. And now they are a fantastic car again is their airborne car vehicle that they would fly around in, you know. Two-seaters, one-seaters. It was cool as a kid. We all loved them. Submariner is sitting on top of a giant, like, robot construction. And again, through through Johnny's, um, I'm, I'm sorry, through Ben Grimm's thought balloons, it says the Submariner, he's built himself some sort of fortress. Like one of Reed's giant, what, what's it, whoosies? No sign of Susie or even any of Namor's Atlanteans, which means... Which doesn't mean a thing when it comes right down to it. The way he's glaring at us, Subby ain't happy. We've come a visiting. Okay, so the next several pages, the Fantastic Four battles Submariner. It's it's again 
We've got Johnny, who is now wearing, we see as he flames on, he's got a wired apparatus all around him, like an exoskeleton that's going to allow him to flame on under the water. Do you not love the comic books? Reed Richards has a has a exoskeleton that will allow Johnny to flame on, and he does. And so he, and he says, pretty cool, don't you think, Namor? Let's see how you keep your cool when things start getting hot. And Namor says, an amusing gesture. An amusing gesture storm. But I believe the true threat comes from this direction as, as Ben Grimm is charging him. They face off. What are they doing? They're trading blows. The Thing and Namor are back trading blows on page 15. Because these are only 17-page stories, man. These are only 17-page stories. We see Reed unload. Expands his form. Stretches so he's thicker and stronger. Tackling, you know, pummeling Namor. Pummeling him through these this giant uh, robotic machine that is 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 served nothing but as a backdrop for a splash page because it's it's it, Namor just jumps off of it and then Reed crashes through it and Namor says you betrayed your wife's trust or must I remind you Richards how you turned a weapon on your own child and blasted him into a brain stunning coma I love the the, the editor's notes because it because back then I'm like there's a, there's a star next to this a little a little asterisk star and then right next to it it says FF one forty one. Okay, again, you know now now that Franklin's in in a in a coma, she she's just useless. He says, "What's wrong with you, Richards? Are you still unable to face your truth?" So uh, Ben smashes into what's left of this monstrosity and battles uh, some guardian that's that's standing over Sue. And Ben says, "Susie!" Uh, all along while while Reed and Namor are having their tough the two lovers, the two the two you know men who are in love, one of whom is is Sue's husband they're battling and and it's just i mean you gotta understand namor is a great big giant part of the fantasy force history we're gonna get into that and uh and he's a great classic marvel timely character giant icon well ben Grimm, they're they're fighting as ben reaches sue and she goes let's break out of this joint she goes no you don't understand ben we can't let them go on fighting like this you have to get them you have to get to read you're all making a terrible mistake last page medusa is now got namor wrapped up in her hair if you didn't know medusa the reason she's called medusa is her hair uh is like tentacles it moves it it it, it can constrict and and pull you down and throw you and and and, and exert its force over you um they are struggling to contain namor human torch flies in while medusa has him pinned down namor throttles him and uh at that point sue emerges from the giant machine alongside ben she is wearing a helmet because she didn't take her oxy pills she didn't take her special oxy pills to give her oxygen for one hour while they battled namor she says namor don't she has her she has her you know undersea oxygen helmet on Namor, don't they don't know? I haven't told them. Reed is 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 on the ground of the ocean alongside Johnny and Medusa. They're all kind of crawling to get to their feet. They're looking up at Sue and Namor. Namor says, "Perhaps I should have made it clear." Sue says, "Namor didn't kidnap me. He asked me to go with him. You see, Reed, it's something I've always suspected, and now I know it to be true. I love Namor the Submariner." And I'm going to stay with him forever. Next issue, surprises galore, old villains, old friends in a story titled The FF at War. 
So you're seven years old. It's 1974. You've just finished this. You're like, wait, it's a cliffhanger. Wait, I traded away like three to four comic books and it's a cliffhanger and I wouldn't have it any other way. That's how you bring a cliffhanger. She's like, sorry, you came down here to the bottom of the ocean to fight on my behalf, but I love this man. I'm staying with him. He didn't kidnap me. I asked him. I love him and I am going to be with him forevermore. Earlier on page eight, Namor warned them. She will be mine forevermore. So a great snapshot of what was going on. What you have to understand is the Fantastic Four is Marvel's second best-selling title at this time. Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four in 1974, in the mid-70s, were the most popular titles that Marvel had. Um, They were constantly ranking year-to-year, cumulative sales. Fantastic Four was a juggernaut. It was a powerhouse. It was a priority. This was a top book for Marvel. Top talent, top storylines. They wanted to stay at the top. Uh, they had they had leapt fr- they had leaped over DC at this period. They were in the process of cementing their their status as the dominant comic book company, something no one thought was possible going up against Superman, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman. But alongside Spider Man, who had a number of titles, the Fantastic Four, its popularity at this point has, has expanded. Marvel two and one, a showcase for the Thing every single month, which found the Thing teaming up with a different Marvel character. Marvel two and one was the secondary book, and it sold right up there in the top sometimes top five, definitely top 10 for Marvel Comics. They had just started their reprinting, their their, their magazine called um, World's Greatest Comics, which reprinted the the, the Fantastic Four adventures from years past, which is how I was able to read 60s Fantastic Four stories and read the current Fantastic Four and the Marvel 2-in-1, because once I go in, I go all in. This is the book that ignites it. But again, this book has a number of different historical significances i love that i think i just made up the word significances maybe it's just significance okay hang with me it's the first episode of robcast we're just finding our sea legs see sea legs because it's a namor story now here's the deal this won't resolve for two more issues they go home i'm going to tell you we're just going to really quickly cross over into Fantastic Four 148 the great splash pages they're returning home from the fantastic in the air splash page Ben is piloting the fantastic car. Johnny is flying alongside him. Medusa is in the back. And Reed is literally slumped over, clenching his fist. You can feel the pain. And uh, Medusa says, it's a great splash page. Again, kind of a bird's eye, tight bird's eye shot of the fantastic car. The fantastic car that is coming in. And you can see the wheels are engaged. So it's like about to land. And again, Reed... And Ben are in the front seat. Johnny is out of his sidecar flying. Medusa is in the back. She says, Ben, what's happening? We're losing altitude. We're going, to, we're going into a power dive. It ain't the controls, Medusa. It's Reed. For a minute back there, it was like he passed out at the wheel. But don't you worry, little lady. The ever-loving blue-eyed thing is going to bring this baby down light as a feather. Now you're going to go, Lightfield, your thing sounds like Stan Lee. Listen to every iteration of the ben, uh, of a ben Grimm of the thing on in cartoons and he sta- sounds like stan and jack mixed okay he says watch out torchy here we come the great title of this episode is war on the 36th floor here's the deal the fan the, the the frightful four the cover is the the fantastic four all squaring off against the fight frightful four uh reed is battling the wizard sandman is pummeling with his big giant sand hammer fist uh the thing Johnny is flying over and, and blasting the Trapster, and Thundra is battling Medusa. That is the Frightful Four. It says the Frightful Four strike again. This is a an, 
and 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 a transition episode as they just get back to the Baxter building. Uh, Reed is inconsolable, but they don't make it to page three until they're attacked. They Page one is a splash page. They land the fantastic car. They get in the elevator. They come out. They're attacked by Sandman and the Frightful Four, and the entire issue is a full-on battle. Now, remember, the previous 147 is action-packed, jam-packed with action. And then this issue continues. At the end of this issue, see, we're already done. At the end of issue 148, Namor has appeared in the harbor. It ends with a double-page spread. They have dispatched of the, the, the frightful four of Wizard, Sandman, Thundra, and Trapster, and they have subdued them. And suddenly, uh, they are alerted. Um, Johnny is looking out the window. Look out the window, Reed. It's him. He's got an army. Use your eyes, Reed. Use your eyes, Reed. Don't you see? It's the Submariner and Sue. And he's shouting, and even John even says, and from the way he's shouting, this means bad business for all of us. And Namor says, hear me, service people. Hear me, service people. I have come to wreak my vengeance for the evil my people have suffered at your hands. As of this moment, Namor and the surface world are at war. The next issue is to love, honor, and destroy. Episode, it, Fantasy IV 149 wraps up. The cover is Namor on all his sea creatures in the harbor, standing on his sea monsters. And, uh, and he says, uh, Sue is blasting Reed and Johnny with her invisible force shield. And it says, with Sue Richard's help, with Sue Richard's help, the surface world will be mine. And the Hulk is battling some of the sea monsters in the foreground of the cover and says, not while the thing is still alive. Again, uh, still written by uh, Jerry Conway, still drawn by Rich Buckler and embellished by Joe Sennett. I'm going to fast forward all the way to the end. This is crazy. This is an entire action-packed episode. Namor is again going hand-to-hand, fisticuffs, battling the Fantastic Four, battling the thing, battling, punching Johnny Storm out of the, out of the sky. Uh... Uh, multiple page battle with Johnny Storm, multiple page battle with Ben Grimm. Sue gets in on the action. She's blasting her family members and her friends. And then there's a recap of of Namor's long love affair that he's had with Sue. Uh, and 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 when they first discovered him in the pages of Fantasy Four Number Four, and so that's detailing this long love affair. There's a double page splash with Namor alongside of his giant monster about to storm the city. Uh, Again, more action as the thing battles not only this uh, this 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 creature, but Namor, and and you guys, it's just nonstop action. Thundra, who is sometimes their friend, sometimes their enemy, uh, who who attacked them as as a part of the frightful four, is now out fighting alongside the Fantastic Four, alongside Medusa, Thing, Human Torch, and and Reed to battle uh, uh, Namor and and Sue Storm. But so you get a couple of cool. Um, Pages with her and the fisticuffs battling Namor. But at the end, uh, Sue says, I, I, I'm wrong. Amidst all this chaos, she says, I'm wrong. She's standing next to a cool starfish face guy when she confesses all this to Ben. And uh, you guys, this is how this three-issue saga ends. On the, the, the wharf, as, as, as Thundra is, is battling Namor, and, and, and Reed is about to go in for a last attempt on Namor. Reed says, battling the Submariner is my responsibility. I will meet that responsibility, even if it kills me. And then Ben says, you hear that, Susie? No matter what he's done, this guy loves you. That's got to count for something. And then we get one, two, three, four panels. Sue, head in her hands. She says, if only I knew what was right. Is it enough that 
that he that he loves me? Can I forgive him all that's happened in the past? And what about the future? A future without Reed? Without Reed as my husband? No, I love him. I've always loved him. I can't let that end now. Reed, Namor, stop. I've been wrong. I'm terribly wrong. I thought love was supposed to be something perfect, something ideal, something unreal and romantic. Namor offered me that once. And that's why I went back to him when he offered it to me again. But I realize now, now she is rushing into this final panel. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Panel eight on this page. Um, one of the larger panels on the page. She is rushing, rushing into Reed's embrace. I realize now that there's more to love than a fantasy, that there are countless mistakes, countless injuries, and none of it matters. None of it. I just want you to know how sorry I am. So she, you know, battled her team in 147, stood alongside Namor. Uh, then they attacked the surface world and his monsters created, wreaked havoc. And now she's come to her senses. And then Thing turns to Namor and says, say, bub, why don't you beat it? In case you hadn't noticed, no one wants you no more. Namor takes flight. He hovers over them, smiling. He's smiling. He says, I'll leave gladly, my friend, now that I'm no longer needed here. May Neptune watch over all of you until we meet again. And he says, till we meet again? And he says, uh, how about till the next time we meet, you creep? And then Namor flies over. Remember I said there was a starfish guy? A guy with a starfish face? Well, Namor flies over to him. And he pulls off his mask. Starfish guy, starfish face guy pulls off his mask. Namor says, uh, Project Revival was a complete success, old friend. Starfish man says, did everything go according to plan? Namor says, none of them suspected it was an act on our part. That I never, ever intended to destroy New York or truly invade the surface world. Nor did they suspect you. He completes pulling off his mask. Starfish is... the, the, the Namor says, nor did they suspect you to Starfish Man, who completes pulling off his mask. It reveals himself as Triton, envoy, envoy of the Inhumans. And Triton is smiling as he pulls his mask off. He says, you've done your work well, Namor. Black Bolt will be pleased that we brought our friends back together again, even if we were forced to use a little deception. And then he picks up a walkie-talkie, and he speaks into the walkie-talkie, and he says, don't you agree, Medusa? Medusa has her walkie-talkie up to her hair. I mean, up to her ear, holding it with her hair. Her hair is lifting the walkie-talkie up to her ear. And she says, completely, Triton. Namor may be persona non gratis with the FF for a while until we tell them the truth. But the end justifies the means, this time, I think. And I'm sure Sue and Reed would most definitely agree. And she sang this against a, a screen on a monitor where Reed and Sue are making out. All's well that ends well as we pivot towards the all-important Fantastic Four number 150. Namor... Uh, Sue files for divorce. Namor battles the Fantastic Four, warns them to stay away. We find out that he kidnapped Sue, took her and her comatose son. Then they retreated, battled the Frightful Four, only to wake up to find that Namor has attacked, is attacking the harbor, attacking New York City, has brought all his sea monsters. They then re-engage, and it was all a love test. Sue needed to feel that Reed loved her the most and the idea of Sue divorcing Reed was so traumatic to the rest of the Marvel Universe that the Inhumans and Namor combined their forces to save the marriage of Reed and Sue Richards. And everybody lived happily ever again with their bruises, their cuts, their egos destroyed, um, lies, deception, 
This is fantastic. This Now you know why I, I picked these issues. 147, 148, 149. Now that you know the story, we are going to dive in and, and complete our autopsy and head to our several categories where, where we, we look at, again, all manner of different relevancy uh, that this comic book represented. And I mean, come on. What a blast. What, you, you don't understand how exciting it was to share that to you. I just gave you three issues, 147, 148, 149, inside 41 minutes. And, and that's going to be something that you get on the regular here on the Robcast. So as part of the autopsy report that we do here on the Robcast, again, I'm going to go over the categories with you. And there'll be, there'll be categories within categories, but here's the major ones. After each and every subject is presented, we're going to look at historical relevance. And within the historical relevance, we're going to have snapshots. We're going to have notables, creative pedigrees, brushed with greatness. Again, I told you already my favorite, Sugar Rush, and an and overall legacy. So let me start with the historical relevance of these comics that I just gave to you, 147, 148, 149 of Fantastic Four. Again, you have to realize Fantastic Four was the best, the second best-selling book for Marvel Comics during this 1973 to 1974, 1975 period. It, it was a rager. It was a dependable, go-to, uh, consistent model for Marvel. Have you ever wondered why the priority has been to get the Fantastic Four so quote unquote right in film and in cinema and, and, and why they feel the pressure that they do. Have you ever asked why did the Fantastic Four become so great? How did it get to uh the number two selling book for Marvel Comics, the number one team book for them? Again, only Spider-Man is uh is selling more than the Fantastic Four. And and the Fantastic Four has got again a reprint magazine with Marvel's greatest uh comics coming out, reprinting stories from from ten, seven, eight years prior. Uh it's it's also got the uh, the Marvel 2-in-1, the Thing Showcase. So, I mean, it's a big deal. They've had a cartoon, just like Spider-Man's had a cartoon. The Thing will get his own, own cartoon at the end of the 70s. Uh, the Fantastic Four will get another at-bat in the 70s uh, w- w- with another like late 70s uh, cartoon that was on NBC on Saturday mornings with, with the uh, Herbie the Robot instead of the Human Torch. So, I mean, it was a focal point. It was a priority. But have you ever asked yourself, like, why? Do you know? And, and, and here's, the, here's, here's the easiest answer that you can possibly, uh, uh, you know, comprehend is that the 101 issues that Stanley and Jack Kirby did together of the Fantastic Four, at the time when comics was kind of in its burgeoning state and, 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 and Marvel was on the rise competing and outselling slowly, you know, monthly, yearly, the DC, you know, unthinkable lineup of books with Superman, Batman, the Justice League, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, all of your Silver Age, you know, giants. That 101 issues represents an incredible body of work. Some of the most accomplished stories, art, and and far and away the most impressive creation of worlds as they were building the world of sue storm johnny storm reed richards ben Grimm. they were building the world of the mole man and dr doom latveria annihilus they they, they they were they were they were building the worlds of blastar they were building the the, the world 
as you'll see, this this expressive, you know, build out of 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 Namor the Submariner. They didn't create Namor; they adopted him early on. And we're going to get to Namor's significance in the Fantastic Four world here in just a minute. But he was a big part, especially early on. Boy, almost every other issue as you're going to see was a Submariner uh, Namor focused issue. Again, just like when Captain America was brought back, Stanley didn't create Captain America. That's Joe. Simon, Jack Kirby, but suddenly, boom, bright, shining star, seminal part of the Avengers legacy. But Namor, we're going to get back to him in a minute because he's such a focal point of this very storyline. But the 101 issues, the Doctor Doom of it all, the Galactus of it all, the Silver Surfer of it all, the Inhumans, the Black Panther, you guys, so many worlds within worlds within worlds were being created, were being introduced to you. And it was nonstop. Jack and Stan were just relentless. And the comics community was just in awe of what they were they, they were putting forth time and again, and 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 how can you blame the audience? It was it was the most imaginative, the most accomplished, and you could see the books got better and better and better and better. Jack is more refined. Jack's relationship with Joe Sinnott as as pencil and inker, uh, Stan's contributions, polishing Jack's plots, ideas, stories. Uh, with his with his very signature script, Fantastic Four was a giant body of work with a huge collection of incredibly memorable char- memorable characters. Some of the most important in the Marvel universe. You guys, I freaked out on my observations podcast a couple months ago when I got my three and a half foot Galactus figure in the mail, and I just went off about Galactus's significance. Silver Surfer, you know. These were giant comic book moments that even all these years later are still giant comic book moments. We look at them with awe. The Watcher. I mean, it just, it does not let up when it comes to the creation of worlds within worlds in the pages of the Fantastic Four across those 101 issues that Stan and Jack produced. The closest you could even come in in regards to what was accomplished with the Fantastic Four is Spider-Man, which is ridiculously impressive. And, And I could even hear the argument that in 30 issues, Steve Ditko and Stan did as much as Stan and Jack did, but you can't discount those those extra 70 issues. Had Steve not tapped out, had Steve Ditko not tapped out, who knows what we would have gotten. But certainly Spider-Man Fantasy Four, to me, they are the two greatest uh, worlds within worlds, just incredible character creation, character building. And, and so Fantasy Four, those 101 issues, boom. They are a pillar. They are a pillar. And, and, and of course, we want to see great Galactus representations, Silver Surfer representations, cinema, film, streaming, cartoons. We have gotten some of that. The Inhumans. You know, you've seen Black, Plant, Black Panther break out on his own, but Wakanda lived first and maybe most impressively in the, in the pages of the Fantastic Four. So you got, you got the historical relevance of why is the Fantastic Four so important? Why is it so great? Why is it such a pillar? Well, there it is. 101 straight issues by arguably the greatest creative team of all time. Now, you go, well, Eric Larson by himself is doing 250 plus issues. That is impressive and perhaps more impressive than this on, in its own right in, the, in, in terms of being the sole author of an incredible body of work across a period of time. I mean, he writes pencils and inks, his own work. He is deserving of his own category and his own award. But the specialness and the uniqueness and certainly the relevance of Fantasy Four. And what all these characters have meant over the decades cannot be disputed. So again, that 101 issues is is your answer. And all the, I mean, again, uh, let's do it again. Annihilus, 
Doctor Doom, Galactus, Silver Surfer, the Black Panther, the Inhumans, um, Mole Man, the Wizard. I mean, you guys, it it is. I, I, I get I get overwhelmed just with those names alone. So, speaking to Prince Namor, who is so important in this uh, this crazy three issues that I just read to you from 1974, where he where he takes his walkie-talkie and tells Medusa, we pulled it off. We got Reed and Sue back together. We almost brought New York to the brink of devastation, and, and, uh, but, but, but they're not going to divorce anymore. Crazy story. And I'm going to tell you a little, about the crea- a little bit about the creators in just a second. But did you know that in the first 14 issues of the Fantastic Four, you want to talk historical relevance here, after bringing him back into the, fo- into the forefront after he had disappeared from his World War II kind of uh, spotlight, Namor Submariner was brought back in the pages of Fantasy Four number four. He would then appear in issue six, nine, 14. That's four appearances in the first 14 issues. He then goes on and appears in several more. And bottom line, by the time that you see him in, uh, this is his eighth storyline. This is his eighth storyline. Again, a key in storyline. He appears in Fantasy Four 100, but he gets. Dedicated issue storylines, and this is his eighth. Now, after issue number 33 of Fantastic Four, there is 66 issues without a significant storyline interaction with Prince Namor in the Fantastic Four. After being totally obsessed with him, putting him in issues 4, 6, 9, 14, 27, 33, he is teaming up with Doctor Doom. He is getting them to fight underwater battles with him. They then go on that incredible spree, and they start adding tons of new things. It was like, it was like, Namor was their 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 warm Linus blanket, speaking to the Peanuts character and his blanket that he's never depicted without in in, in the cartoons or the comic strips of the, of the uh, Charles Schultz Peanuts, uh, which of course I grew up with. Many in my generation grew up with. I think it got to the '90s generation too. Maybe not as relevant to the 2000s, but the warm Linus blanket represents uh, exactly what Prince Namor was to the Fantastic Four during this period. Sixty-six issues. He then disappears. He comes back. He is uh, he he appears briefly in issue 100, but then he, he gets another new dedicated storyline when Kirby leaves and John Romita Senior comes on, and issues 102, 103, 104 feature Namor and and sub and 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 the Fantastic Four reunited with Submariner again, and 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 sets up a juicy storyline. And then you guys, 42 issues later, it, it's 42 issues until we get back to this 147. Namor again, right around this time. Now, he's got his own series going on, you know, between the 66 issues that he's not there and the 42 issues, between the 66, you know, issues without him and then the 42 issues without him in that window, you know, they're building his own solo series. Shortly after this, Namor goes on to be the face of one of the most important characters in The Invaders, which lasted for four or five years. Uh, reuniting, reigniting, relaunching, reigniting the classic World War II era heroes from Marvel, putting Prince Namor, Submariner alongside Captain America, Bucky, Human Torch, the original Human Torch, which is not Johnny Storm, and Toro, who is his fiery sidekick. And they would go on to have all these amazing adventures. He's then in Supervillain team-up on a monthly basis, most issues aligned side-by-side with Doctor Doom. And then, (laughs) I mean, the guy, the guy, Namor, is, is, is getting around. He is um, extremely busy because he is also a featured member in the Defenders. 
He is a featured member of the Defenders, which is also where he was. Again, in these issues that they peel him away from the Fantastic Four, he is alongside Doctor Strange, Hulk, Silver Surfer, in the very heavy early rotation of the Defenders, which is kind of a uh, another Avengers-style book with popular Marvel heroes all teamed up. And Defenders is like one of my favorite books that Marvel ever published, even though it didn't have a great signature run like a John Byrne X-Men run, like a Jack Kirby Fantastic Four run, like, like a George Perez Titans run. But I bought all those Defenders. I loved Namor being, a, being the face in Defenders. But think of that. He's in the Invaders, representing the past, battling World War II with his Marvel World War II heroes. He's in Supervillain team-up, and he's in Defenders. So, so right after this, 147, 148, 149, I think that's why they really had to, they wanted to give him a spotlight. They wanted to put him in action. They wanted to show him for how formidable he was again in their number two best-selling book. Kind of, hey, everybody, look look again back at Namor. We're going to give him this, this, this uh, he's going to be in these three issues. And, and, and we're going to kind of set him up for all this new success where he's going to be the face of not one, not two, but three series. So that speaks to some of this historical relevance. Also, the historical relevance that I've already uh, talked to you about on the Robcast here is that this was the first period where, again, Sue Storm was replaced by another member, Medusa. Now, a couple years ago, they were doing Fantastic Four variants. They called me up at Marvel, and I did a Deadpool Fantastic Four variant. At their request, they said, which, which of these eras do you want that we have left? And I said, the 70s, the Medusa area, uh, the, the, the Medusa era. And on my Deadpool cover, which has no Deadpool, it's just the Fantastic Four. It has Medusa on it. Because I'm like, this is the era that I grew up in. This is where I fell in love with Fantastic Four, where Sue Storm was not an active member. Again, later on for a few issues, it's very exciting. Uh, it's about a year after this. Luke Cage, Power Man, answers the call, joins up with the uh, Fantastic Four in a, in a very exciting brief storyline. Then uh, later on, we get uh, She-Hulk, who, who steps in to, to, to replace uh, the thing. And that goes on three years. So, so this era that I'm in, again, it's interesting to me because it is not what you know as the traditional Fantastic Four. There are entire, there's a year's worth of stories. You know, as you see in this 147, 148, 149, Sue doesn't even leave the Baxter building. She is in and out. She is very much in the background. She's raising their son. And to, I don't know what it was, what it was editorially. They just, they, they put Medusa in there to spice things up and it worked. I dug it. I did not, you know, miss it. I was aware again, because the Marvel comics, the Marvel greatest comics, that's the title of the reprint book, was showcasing the old stuff. So I knew, I knew it was Sue. And Perhaps because the animated cartoon is about to come out in 1978, they put Sue back in about a year after this. No looking back. Medusa is basically at the halfway point during this period of her time as a full-fledged member, the female representative of the Fantastic Four. So again, a couple of historical relevances there. Namor wears his blue full jumpsuit instead of his little green trunks. That was a very popular uh, costume designed by John Romita Sr. for the uh, Submariner regular title. I think they wanted to spruce it up. As fans and, and fans of my age who, who were there at the time, this is our preferred look. We prefer this to the green trunks. Now, I understand in Wakanda Forever, he was in the green trunks. with the, you know He still gets you know the ankle, the ankle wings in both, but the blue open-chested kind of all full, full body suit just is fantastic. And him exploding out on the cover of this was so memorable to me because of that. I just thought it was a great dynamic. It is one of the great uncelebrated, undercelebrated costumes 
in 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 the uh, the Marvel legacy of great costumes. I think this this particular look is up there. He would abandon this during the supervillain team up era. He didn't really wear it a lot in the Defenders, and Submariner did not wear it at all because the Invaders takes place completely in the past where he is all about the little green trunks. Now, as to the creative teams, this this gets down to notables. Jerry Conway, who wrote these issues, is most famous for his just completely epic uh, Spider-Man run where he is responsible for the devastation of an entire era of fans. This, this period is right before my time reading comic books. It was coming out in a reprint right around this time. But the night, if you say to, to fans, you know, the night Gwen Stacy died, they are going to, the, the, the fans of that era, that is their moment. A, a, a buddy of mine, a, a fan, uh, he, he's my age. He's, he's an important guy in entertainment, has a really important station. He told me when we were having lunch recently, he's like, that's the cover. If that cover came up, I, I would take out a loan against my house. I would raise the funds. I would get the millions to buy that cover. The death of Gwen Stacy was a seminal moment in the Marvel history. It, it is also believed to be, have been when the Silver Age died and the Bronze Age was opened. The Bronze Age of comics was supposed to be darker and more mature, and it certainly was. And this was kind of seen as the, you know, huge event that catapulted us into a different age of comic books. Jerry Conway wrote Spider-Man 122. He wrote Spider-Man during that era and um, the death of Gwen Stacy that that much better served in the comics than than the movies. I only mention the movies because it was out there. It was, it, we saw Emma Stone as, uh, as Gwen Stacy. I'm telling you right now. And, and, and we saw Ron Howard's daughter as well, but uh in the comic, seminal moment, written by Jerry Conway. Jerry was an exciting writer. I followed him to every comic he was writing during my period, and he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting at Marvel Comics. In addition to going off and on with Spider-Man, along with Len Wein and Marvel Wolfman during this time, he was writing Fantastic Four at this period. He wrote all of those issues that I just read to you. He was also writing, he will also be tapped to write a fantastic era of the Avengers that 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 is with George Perez that I love so much, which involves again Submariner. He loved him in a very exciting role with Atuma, the Serpent Crown, which is a huge object of of control, uh, almost like on par with the Cosmic Cube, uh, in a, in a killer uh, Avenger storyline. Again, so I would I was seeing a lot of Jerry Conway on some of my favorite books, Fantastic Four, Spider Man, Avengers. Jerry would leave shortly after and go and work his magic and write a ton of great Justice League stories with George Perez. They would pick up their magic from the Avengers in that late 70s period and transfer it to the DC Comics Justice League book. But he also had a key role in giving us Firestorm. He, had, he was a key in giving us uh, uh, the Punisher, Frank Castle. He was key in giving us uh, the, the Ms. Marvel comic book and, and, and staying on it and giving it to us uh, on a regular basis, even though several writers would come and go on that book, Jerry is is a big part of it. I it was it was fun. I was able to congratulate Gary, uh, Jerry, sorry Jerry Conway, uh, to to his face no less uh, when the Captain Marvel movie was premiering because it was like you know he was a he's a big part of that book's legacy. Um, so so yeah, I just I'm just so thrilled uh, 
to, to promote anything Jerry Conway did because he's just one of those guys who just constantly, constantly entertained. He was constantly entertaining me no matter where he went. And this, these Fantastic Four books are, uh, they're just really ridiculously um, entertaining. And, and I put a huge, huge uh, pedigree on, on entertaining. And, and, and Jerry never, ever failed to entertain me no matter what he was writing. And certainly these Fantastic Fours, this Fantastic Four story with Namor, with the whole, um, you know, uh, uh, Submariner plot, the divorce plot, the, the segue to the Frightful Four, and then coming out of it with Submariner attacking. And I mean, look, Jerry, again, Ms. Marvel number one, the Avengers with George Perez, this Fantastic Four run, the death of Gwen Stacy, Firestorm. Jerry is a hugely accomplished, hugely accomplished uh, writer in in the uh, in the comic book business. Um, went on to work on in 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 the entertainment the entertainment business at large, and would um, work on shows like Law and Order, and uh, and 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 do a ton of TV work, and and entertain you in in that capacity. But uh, Jerry has a tremendous, tremendous legacy in the, in the, uh, in the comic book world. And at this point at Marvel, he was straight up, just, just cooking. He was straight up, uh, cooking and, and, and again, I mean, Punisher, Jerry wrote Spider-Man 129. I mean, the guy is just knocking it out of the park everywhere you look. Now, as to the artist, Rich Buckler, one of my favorites, Rich Buckler keeps all the action moving, has all the dramatic angles. One thing about Rich Buckler, who illustrated memorable issues of the Avengers, this incredible run that continues past this. There's a great Silver Surfer, Doctor Doom story on the other side of this, and more to come. Rich really sinks his teeth into the Fantasy Fourth for the better part of about a year. And then, ironically, he is replaced by his assistant, a, a, a young man who worked underneath him, who apprenticed under him that some of you will know and, and went on to even greater acclaim named George Perez. But these particular comics are drawn by Rich Buckler. Rich Buckler, uh, Deathlock was a huge uh, notch in his belt, uh, a fan favorite that that he did. Um, Rich would also cross the street, go to DC Comics, do All-Star Squadron, which was an amazing event for kids at that time. I think as far as the World War II heroes of either company goes, All-Star Squadron is my favorite, uh, exceeding both Justice Society and exceeding the Invaders. And he had a great, tremendous run uh, working alongside Roy Thomas over there. He also did some great Superman, Shazam comics, Black Adam, DC Comics Presents. Uh, Rich, Rich was a guy that entertained me, just like Jerry Conway. Every time I got something of Rich Buckler's, I was completely satisfied. I loved it. I dug it. I would try and draw it. These Fantastic Four issues. Some have come along and said, well, he's, you know, lifting Jack Kirby all over the place. And you know what? Side by side, I've seen some of those. And there are shot by shot, figure by figure comparisons of the thing of of Submariner or other characters swapped. Uh, Having spoken to Rich Buckler briefly, you know, that was encouraged. They wanted the Jack Kirby energy stand, wanted people on that book to emulate Jack Kirby. I don't look sideways at it. I certainly don't look down my nose at it. I, I I am completely and totally impressed with the rate that he gave me these Fantastic Four stories and his emphasis on action. And if it is somewhat imbued with Kirby, so be it. It makes these books sing. Rich Buckler on the Fantastic Four is one of the um, 
favorite parts of my youth. The, these issues, they are all stacked to my left. Again, the, 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 the storylines that follow a, a killer Silver Surfer Doctor Doom story that I could have easily shared with you rather than these three issues was to follow Heat Pencils, uh, the, the, the wedding of uh, Crystal and, the, and, and uh, Quicksilver, which is the Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four number 150, which guest stars the Avengers. I mean, the guy is cooking. These books are hot. Um, to my knowledge, to, my, to me as a kid, when I'm seven years old, I don't know that Rich Buckler is getting anything from Jack Kirby. I don't know that any of this is influenced by anybody else. I just see his name. I see that he's the one that entertained me, that these pages were constructed with him, with his penciling and illustrative design work and storytelling and craftsmanship, and they rocked my world. And when people come along and they're sometimes grumpy, oh, well, Rich Buckler was, was lifting some of that stuff. Seven-year-old Robbie couldn't give a shit. And the Rob cast is here to celebrate the work of Rich Buckler in all shape, manner, and form because he rocked my childhood. He entertained me, and these books are spectacular. That is part of our um, category of notables. Now, another category that we like to get into here that, that I'm having fun with. We did notables. We've done creative pedigrees, okay? Here's the, here's the one that I'm really looking forward to. Brushed with greatness. We don't give inkers enough due. Inkers are the polishers, especially during this time. Now, as inking would evolve and, and really blame it on Terry Austin and his minute attention to, to detail, to tiny details and the crisp, brittle, sharp inks that, that, that he gave that turned on an entire generation, I am one of them. And when I talk to others of that generation, um, they, they speak in, in, in as exalted terms of Terry Austin like I do. But that is years to come. The Terry Austin of his generation is Joe Sinnott. Joe Sinnott Sinnott is a polisher without compare. Now, of the creative team, only Jerry Conway is still survived. Joe Sinnott is passed. Rich Buckler is passed. Joe and and Joe Sinnott and Rich Buckler both passed in the last decade. And uh, I'm better for their work and better for being part of their, experiencing their creative talents. But Joe uh, inked, famously inked, Jack Kirby made an incredible tandem with him. And would continue and ink John Buscema, and he would then ink Rich Buckler, and he would ink Bill Sienkiewicz, he would ink Joe John Byrne, he would ink George Perez. Joe Sinnott is the FF's, the Fantastic Four, maybe greatest brush with greatness. Brush with greatness is, uh, is an ode to the great inkers. And during this period, there is none better at Marvel, period. And Joe Sinnott and the guys that I mentioned, the Terry Austins, the Joseph Rubensteins, all the great inkers that I've ever invoked, Klaus Janssen, they'd be like, oh man, Joe, yeah, Joe could sling it. He was on time. He was fast. He worked primarily with brush. He enhanced it with, with, with a crow quill, but mostly with brush. I saw the master at work when he was in his 80s at comic book conventions, inking commissions, inking pages. I was able to um, speak to him, share comics with him, get signatures from him and in, uh, in 2016. At the Rhode Island Comic Book Convention, his family was so warm to me. We gathered together. We took pictures. I celebrated him. His art, he was a fantastic illustrator. He did a Pope, you know, he did, he did a comic book about the Pope. I mean, this guy is talented. But his greatest contribution in my estimation and, and most, and what he'll be remembered for is no matter who was drawing the Fantastic Four, Joe would carry them over the finish line. He would keep that look. It always looked like a Fantastic Four book in the vein of the greatness of the Jack and Stan run because he was polishing it with even greater panache at this point than he was back then because he's even more accomplished. So brush with greatness, 
speaks to the anchor and the embellisher, and we're all, we don't give them enough spotlight. Joe could do both. He could ink tight pencils. He could finish rough breakdowns. He could enhance uh, what, what, what's, called, uh, what's called layouts because he had an incredible illustrative ability on his own. There would be pinups. There would be covers that only Joe would do. But whether Joe was inking uh, a Dave Cockrum cover, whether Joe was inking a John Byrne issue, he inked entire issues of John Byrne on the Fantastic Four. George Perez, as I've said, he was the go-to, the constant. He is the constant of this book. And once again, I just want to say he is the brush with greatness. Joe is a, literally, if we did a Mount Rushmore, I guess we're going to have to do a Mount Rushmore of great inkers and embellishers. He's on it for sure, period. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, period, end of story. Sugar Rush. We're going to reflect what is the sugar rush of this issue? What What's a sugar rush, Rob? And, and why is it being introduced on the Robcast? The sugar rush speaks to, it is a more polite form of something that all of us have said. All of us being the image generation of guys. I've said it on the Rob's Observations podcast often. Uh, myself, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Eric, Eric Larson, Mark Silvestri, Wills Potashio, Jim Valentino. We would call it, in the 90s, we would call it the big shot on the page, the big splash moment, the big, you know, burst of action. We call that the jerk shot. It's kind of a crude term. And one night with my wife, I opted for just recently showing her some of my recent comic book work. I said, and, and this is where you get the real sugar rush. And, and she goes, I like that. Oh, that's so much better. And as a 50-year-old man, I am now pivoting to the sugar rush as the description of the great big moments. What are the great big moments? What is the memorable parts of these three issues that I just gave to you? Are there any sugar rushes? There's going to be episodes of the Robcast where we do not encounter a sugar rush. We are going to be like, Where, where's my sugar fix? Because there is no sugar rush. There is no shortage of sugar rush within these comic books. As I told you, by the time we get to page four, there is a splash page. We open with a splash page. There are two splash pages within the first four pages. Page one, full splash. Page two, Three, four, full splash. We, we get like page 14, full splash, page 13 or 14. Uh, the next issue, we get splash. We get double page splash. This has big shot after big shot after big shot. The, the Namor is pummeling the thing. Uh, Thundra is pummeling Namor. Medusa is pummeling Namor. Human, touch, Human Torch is pummeling Namor. Everyone takes their shots at Namor, and Namor shot, takes his shots at everyone. The biggest thing that I carry from these issues that I think is, is part of their legacy, and we're not quite to legacy, but it, it, it goes hand in hand with the sugar rush, is the overwhelming emphasis on action. These books move. You are given a dramatic, tilted shot immediately upon, upon, upon opening issue 147, and your mind is 100% blown. And the, the storytelling, Jack Kirby uh, enhanced, influenced, uh, the, the pace is relentless. It's flying, punching, uh, engaging, tossing, flipping, uh, diving into the underwater, you know, battling under the seas, fantastic cars, fantastic cycles. It's, 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 it's four villains waiting on the other side of the elevator on page three of the very next issue, an entire issue's worth of battle where four supervillains battle four superpowered individuals, the good guys against the bad guys. And then it ends with a double pager, them looking out the window and Namor is on his sea beasts. 
which then pivots us to an all-issue battle with more splash pages, three, four splash pages, big, giant action. This is the Marvel Comics that I was born on. There is no lack of sugar rush, but I will tell you that it to start off a book with page one and page four, and then page 13 later on, I mean, the amount of splash pages that this kicks off and the way Namor makes his entrance just exploding up out of the water to hover over the thing and and in an all in a, in a full splash page moment it doesn't get these are it doesn't get better than this these are some of the finest sugar rush you're going to get and and so so uh you know you're going to need to use the best possible chloride toothpaste mouthwash after you do this cuz th- this is this is you know there's a lot of calories in these comics there is a lot of sugar you are going to get um completely overwhelmed so again, number two best-selling book of Marvel. Top talents that are not just phoning it in. Fantastic Four was not just a sidecar that Jerry Conway boarded. He has created monumental. I mean, Jerry basically began the Bronze Age with the death of Gwen Stacy. Then he's over in Fantastic Four rocking this divorce story, giant sea monsters, just complete and, and utter action on every page. Chaos. It's fantastic. Rich Buckler has earned the right to pencil their top book. Again, when people come and criticize any artist, I'm like, really? The, the guy was doing the top book for Marvel. Where, why are the rocks being thrown at him? I don't understand. Always been a lot of envy. Always been a lot of jealousy in the comic book business. Always, you know, there's a group that throws rocks at somebody. And at this point, Rich Buckler was getting it. But boy, this guy didn't not work all the time. Rich Buckler did comics, you know, left, right, and center as I was growing up for Marvel and DC. And, uh, and the action and, and the pedigree that he brought to this was fantastic. So Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, fantastic work on, number, on, on, fantastic Four, on, on the Fantastic Four, number two best-selling Marvel title featuring Namor in his eighth major storyline. It had been a while. It had been a while in a character that was at one point so interwoven with the success of this book i mean four appearances in the first 14 issues they and he is on those covers he is a a selling point he is a big deal prince namor submariner big deal this was a big giant splashy return we had our brush with great with greatness with joe sinnott some of our you know notables was the era that this was taking place in this kind of rotating it was the first time we were now having a rotation you know, Crystal of the Inhumans was also in and out of the lineup, but Medusa became, boom, the first solid, like, stand-in as Sue, Sue Richards tapped out. So we covered that. Obviously, the thing is is just full of sugar rush. But I would say the legacy of this was that this supercharged readers and kept it at the top because Fantasy Four would not relinquish its top spot. 1978, the Fantastic Four is that they've added a Spider-Man book by then. Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, did not spin off until a few years later, so that gave Spider-Man four books. So then the Fantastic Four is getting squeezed out, but Fantastic Four was continuing to be a top six, top seven book. Four years after I'm telling you this, the Fantastic Four maintained its grip on the culture because top talents produce top stories, and the Fantastic Four was anything but boring at any given time. It moved, it rocked. The legacy of these books 
is the legacy of Marvel at the time, whether it was the Avengers, Spider-Man, Defenders. These books opened with action. They closed with action. I will remind you, the Jim Shooter formula, the first seven pages, tell them where you were. Tell them where you are. Well, let's let's look. We, first seven pages, they, they did it in three here. They're in the Baxter building. They're shocked. Rich, R- Reed Richards is devastated. He's been told he's going to get a divorce. By the third by the third page and the end of the third page, last panel, they are flying out over the ocean, they being Johnny and the thing, and they are attacked on page four. Giant surge of action. They run back. They tell Reed for two pages. They reboot. And the last seven pages, they are in action. Jim Shooter's formula was seven pages of setup. Uh, open with seven pages of action and setup. Then in the middle of the book, and in this case, it's two to three pages, kind of when, when Rick is pin, Rick Reed, Reed Richards is pinpointing the area with all his gizmos that they're going to have to attack Namor at to conclude this issue 147. Again, when it's 777, but this is back when there was 21 pages. The idea was the middle of the book, you had your transition, your character stuff, and then boom, you ended on giant action with a cliffhanger. And that's what each one of these books does. Spectacularly. That is the legacy. Marvel had an emphasis on action, and that action riveted the fans, and the fans took them to number one. That is the typical autopsy you are going to receive here on the Robcast as we take popular titles, comics, single issues, shows, movies, and we, you know, put them under the knife. We carve them up. We, we talk about notables. We talk about legacies. We talk about brushes with greatness. We talk about historical relevance. And we're going to do a whole lot more of that as the Robcast continues. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this first outing with the Rob Topsy. It's it's a uh, it's a topic I'm I'm passionate about. You know, we're gonna, we're going to continue to play with the formatting, but I love the idea of taking these isolated works and and talking to you about them, especially across the decades. How the treatment of characters, the depiction of characters, no matter what they're in comics, movies, TV, they changed. The people who were charged with um, producing them. Again, we called it the Robcast the whole way through because that was a name I was going to double down on. But we have since decided to go with the Rob Topsy. I sure hope you enjoyed uh, this first Rob Topsy. I I hope it it didn't cut too deep and it didn't leave a mark. And uh, look for more Rob Topsies. They're going to be formatted differently and they're not going to have the same uh, stuff at the end. So I just want to thank you again for this very special edition. Robservations isn't going anywhere, but we're going to start slotting these Rob Topsies uh, in between because I'm passionate about it and I'm excited to share with you all that is to come. Take care of yourself and we will talk to you next time.